haven't been here before, or certainly haven't been here for the duration of whatever sermon series I'm in at that moment. We got a lot of visitors. So because of that sort of dynamic, that nature, the characteristic of our church, I want to begin the sermon with a couple of really pretty basic and simple questions to kind of set the scene here, to set us up. First question is, is this, what are we doing at this point in our Sunday morning services? Not a trick question. Okay, what we're we doing, we are, as a congregation, we are studying the Sermon on the Mount, aren't we? This point in time, Sunday morning services, we're looking at these three chapters of Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus sets out this vision of what um, John Stock calls Christ's Christian Manifesto. This kind of counter-cultural vision of, wait for it, of how God wants his people to live. How God wants his people to live. Right? So that's the first question. What are we doing? Studying the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, that was easy. Second question is a question that I have perhaps not thrown out before. Why are we studying the Sermon on the Mount? Why are we not just, like, in our Sunday mornings, just jumping from one verse to another verse all over Scripture? Why are we looking at the Sermon on the Mount? Why, why, why not Exodus or Leviticus? Why, why is it? Maybe, maybe you see an answer? It's because as Christians, we really, really want to live in a way that's pleasing God, don't we? Isn't that true? I mean, if Christ here sets out a vision of what delights God from his people, we want to study this, don't we? Because there's something in us by the power of the Holy Spirit that really, really wants to live to the pleasure of God, to the honor of God, to the glory of God, right? Isn't that true? Uh, Donald Gray Barnhouse a minister of yesteryear, he said this. He said that the renewed heart, so the regenerate heart, your heart, Christian friend, the renewed heart has within it the desire to glorify God by presenting to him a moral life. And what do we know? We know that that is true. Why are we studying the Sermon on the Mount? Because we want to live in a way that pleases, delights our God. Yes? Good. Well, this morning we come to one verse that is so central to the Christian ethic, the kingdom of God, that it is commonly referred to as the golden rule. So this morning we're looking at one verse, it's called the golden rule. And you need to know this from the start. This is a verse that has much to say to us about living a God-honoring, but a God-pleasing life. You know the drill. You know exactly what I'm going to say next, don't you? I'm going to say to you, please have your Bible open in front of you. So whether that's on your phone or your iPad, if you're very smart, or if you've got a paper copy, please turn with me. Please have Matthew 7 verse 12 open as we consider the first heading here this morning, which is this, an overlooked rule. That's the first place we're going to go. That's the first thing we're going to think about, an overlooked rule. Okay, bad news for you. I am in the mood for asking questions. Okay, so you're not going to get 40 winks this morning. You're not going to get a little sleep. I'm going to bombard you uh, with uh, questions this morning. So this is uh, the next one. See what you would do with this. What is it, when you think about the Christian life, what is it that God wants to see from us as Christians? When you think about your sanctification, when you think about the Christian life, what sort of things... 
does that makes that up? What sort of things does God want to see from us in the Christian life? Where would you go with that? We are a reformed church. We're a Presbyterian church. So my guess is a lot of us in here understand that God wants to see us pursue a knowledge of him. Isn't that right? Isn't that part of the Christian life? Isn't it? We are to study the gospel, study the scripture, or to pursue a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Right? Yep, fine. I know that lots of us would add to that as well, because we would also say, yes, but we are also to serve the living God. Isn't that right? Isn't Christian practice important in the Christian? We're to pray. We're actually to tell other people the gospel. We're to attend church. Yes, we're to know about God, but we're to, to serve the living God as well. Is everyone on board there? Well, this morning I want to suggest to you that there is an area of the Christian life that is very often overlooked. An area that is very often ignored. What is that? Well, friends, what is it you see before you in the text this morning? Is it not this? Is it not God's desire that you and I serve and love our fellow man? That this massively overlooked area of the Christian life is the concern that the people of God should have for others. Isn't that right? Now, here's the thing. Where do we go immediately when I say that to you? I say to you, we are, as Christians, supposed to be concerned for others. What do you think about I think we, we think about our relationships within the church. That's our first port of call, isn't it? The ladies of London City Presbyterian Church last year, or maybe, yeah, last year, they attended a conference, a conference on the one another's of scripture. The fact that as Christians, we're supposed to love one another, aren't we? Forgive one another, encourage one another, serve one another. Isn't that the sort of thing we think about? I say, oh, we're to be concerned for others. We think about our relationships in the church. But hang on a second here. What do you notice when you look at this verse? Look at verse 12. Like, aren't you immediately struck by how Jesus phrases this verse? Because up to now, you know this if you've been here for the sermon series, up to now, Jesus has used so much family language in the Sermon on the Mount. God is our heavenly father. And Jesus has used family illustration and he's talked about us serving our brothers. Look at the verse. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say whatever you wish your brother would do for you. What does he say? He says, whatever you wish that others would. Did you see that the language here in verse 12 is wider, it's broader, it's more comprehensive? Do you see the point? This morning we are confronted with God's desire that you and I love our neighbor. His concern, his desire that we not just serve and love our brothers and our fellow Christians but that we love and we serve our fellow men and women. And if I was feeling really mean, (laughs) I could bring that to you just now, couldn't I? And tap on your door and push it towards you and, and say, is that characteristic of your life, Christian friend? Are you someone who's known for loving your neighbor? You could linger there forever, but I don't want to. Instead, I want you to consider just now the atmosphere of our society in the UK today. Like if I was to ask you, I mean, how would you describe 
how people interact in the UK today. People's interactions. Would you agree with your minister on this? Would you agree with me that we live in a age of real hostility? Isn't that how people interact today? There's real hostility, volatility in the way that people... I mean, just think about what you see on a daily basis. I mean, you see people having to leave social media because of the abuse that they receive, don't you? And you see people actually scared to walk around this increasingly violent city. And you see, for the love of peace, people chucking milkshakes at one another. Chucking milkshakes. Think it's okay to chuck milkshakes because disagree with people's politics. You see, an increasingly polarized society, increasingly volatile society, And I ask you, Christian friend, do you not recognize it now? Do you not see the knock-on benefits of this golden rule? Because should you and I go out of here and seek to serve our neighbor in a culture like this, what is going to happen? If we love other people in a culture like this, we are going to stand out like sore thumbs, aren't we? And we're going to stand out for the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you not agree with me? Is that not true? In a culture like this, so violent, so antagonistic, so polarized, so hostile, Christian people loving their neighbors. That is surely going to point people and point them towards the good news. So we see here that it is an overlooked rule. The second thing that I want you to consider about verse 12 is this, that it is also a demanding rule, what we're dealing with, a demanding rule. So are you with me thus far, friends? Are you? We've seen that it's an overlooked area of the Christian life, loving our neighbor. Now, that, I think, begs thought, doesn't it? So it's one thing for us to get to the point where we realize, as Christians, we are to love and serve our neighbor. Where do we go now? We we immediately think, well, what does that look like? What does that involve as a church? Well, I think at this point, the best thing for me to do is to explain the accusation that is leveled against the Lord Jesus Christ from this verse. Okay, I want you to stick with me on this. There's a widely held view in scholarship and in religious studies today that suggests that, see this golden rule that we're dealing with? There's a widely held view that this golden rule is common to all major religions and all major faiths. Everyone get the idea? So if you uh, endure some of our divinity faculties, religious studies faculties in this country, you will be told that what we've got here is common to Christianity, it's common to Confucianism and Hinduism and Buddhism and Judaism, that they all say the same thing. And wait for the accusation. You're studying a lot of our divinity faculties, you will hear this, that Jesus in verse 12 isn't just not saying anything new. The accusation against the Lord Jesus Christ is that he's plagiarizing plagiarizing other faiths. Now that's, that's, to me, that seems a pretty serious accusation, right? Jesus is plagiarizing in verse 12, other faiths. So is it true? Is that true? Well, let me, <laughs> let me do what I've never, ever, I assure you, done in a sermon before. Okay, 
And let me quote Confucius. Don't let Presbytery know that (laughs) I was quoting Confucius in this. Or I'll get kicked out of the ministry. But stick with me on this. Okay. Now, I want you to listen really carefully to it. See if you get it. See if you can see where I'm going with this. Here's Confucius. Confucius says, Do not do to others what you do not want them to do to you. Then the Hindu version. This is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. You get it yet? Here is a Buddhist song, a Buddhist hymn. Hurt not others in the way that you yourself would find hurtful. Then the last one, this is the Jewish version, Hillel. Do not do to others what you would hate done to you. Do you get it? Are you awake? Are you with me? You see, what is it? What's the common ground there with all the other golden rules? You see it? Do you see it? It's all stated negatively. Like all the other faiths, all the other, other religions. None of, none of them say, do to others what you, you want done to you. They all say, do not do to others what you don't want. And does everyone see, if you think about it, how entirely different that makes it? Because it involves no action. You think about it. You can be inactive and obey those golden rules from all the other rules. Think about it. I don't want to be murdered. <laughs> they don't want to be murdered. So guess what? I, all I need to do to obey these, I don't want to murder anyone. That's it. Don't do to others what you don't want done yourself. Box ticked. Don't want my car stolen. What do I do? Just don't need to, to steal my car. You, do you see? It's, it's, it's negative. It's, it can be inactive. Friends, do you see the point? This golden rule from the Lord Jesus Christ is entirely, uniquely different to anything else that comes, any other. Now listen to me. What we've got before us today is a unique call, not just for you and I to abstain from wickedness, but it's a unique call to actively serve other people. This call to be consistent, considering How we would want to be treated in all the circumstances of our lives. How would we want to be treated? And this is a call for us to go out into the world and do likewise. And if you'll allow it, let me slag off social media for a moment. Because you know as well as I do that people today love Instagrammable life mantras. Don't you? I've, I've, berated these things in the past but you know exactly what i'm talking about if you've got facebook if you've got instagram or you've got twitter you know don't you like these inspirational quotes i've got a couple of buttes here you know you're scrolling through facebook and a friend of your mother's has posted the best preparation for tomorrow is doing your best today or you know another one Let your smile change the world, but don't let the world change your smile. Yes, now what is the common denominator with all these nice like mantras and inspirational? What's the common denominator? No one cares. No one cares. Nobody scrolls through Facebook and sees that life quote and then thinks, I must adapt my life to fit that quote. Nobody changes and adapts their life. Now, listen to the point here. 
Matthew 7 verse 12 is not an Instagrammable life mantra. You hear that? It is not just an inspirational quote for you to hear and then forget. Surely what uh, Hudson Taylor said about the Great Commission is true here. That what you've got in your hands is not an option for you to consider. As a Christian, it is a command for you to obey. And surely when you see that, it is challenging for us in here, is it not? Because you see what you and I as Christians are supposed to do from this verse. We are supposed to go out into the world. We are to consider all of the relationships that we have. What? Like the boys and girls in here, listen to me. You, from this verse, are to consider your relationships with your brothers and sisters and with the people at school and your friends and your parents. And we are to consider the relationships we have in the church and with the people in our workplace, the people we have fallen out with, the people we do not get on. We are to consider all of those relationships. And from this verse, what we to do, we are to put our feet in their shoes. We are to consider how those people want to be treated and wait for the rubber hitting the road. What are we to do? We are as Christians supposed to actually act in that way towards others for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see that, don't you praise God for the fact that this is a unique rule. (laughs) We praise God that this is a golden rule. So it is a Overlooked rule, it's a demanding rule. The third thing I want us to consider is that it is a godly rule. So this is a godly rule uh, that we're dealing with here. Let me, um, at this point, call a spade a spade. This has been one long sermon series, hasn't it? Uh, I checked last week on our website, and the first sermon that I preached on the Sermon of the Mount was way back in September of last year. Um, so I don't know how long you thought the sermon series was going to last, but we've been in this for, for the best part of an academic year at this point. So maybe you are sitting there frustrated and itching to get into other parts of Scripture. Are you? Perhaps you are. If so, you might have noticed a cause for encouragement Because did you notice in verse 12 that Jesus mentions the law and the prophets? Everyone, you see that? Did you notice it? If you you didn't, look at it again. Look, towards the end of the verse, Jesus mentions the law and the prophets. And I wonder if you recognize how significant that little phrase is, the law. do Do you know what that is? The law and the prophets. That is the second of the two bookends that bracket the Sermon on the Mount. So way back in chapter 5, Jesus began the Sermon on the Mount speaking about the Pharisees and their incorrect views of the law and the prophets. And here today, we get to the second of the bookmarks. You see, as he's closing here, the main chunk of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, he mentions the law and the prophets again. What What do you know? You know that for we are coming to the end of this sermon series. But much more importantly than that, I want to know this. I want to know, what is Jesus exactly saying about the law and the prophets? So would you do this with me, friends? Would you would you look at the verse once again? It's a short verse. Let, let's read it once again. Have a look at verse 12. Boys and girls can do this as well, please. Just have a look at verse 12. And please think through 
what Jesus is saying about the law and the prophets here. What is he saying to you about the law and the prophets? Let's read it. Let's go for it. Verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Do you see what he's saying? Let me go for it again. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, you do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Now, do you see what he's saying there? That's an amazing thing, isn't it? He's saying that this little phrase, this little verse that we're dealing with here is a summary of the Old Testament scriptures. Isn't that what he says? That's amazing thought, isn't it? Like he's saying that, that everything in what we call the second table of the law, do you know what that is? That's the last of the six commandments and how they're expounded in scriptures. Everything to do with how we relate to other people. Jesus there is saying, all of that material, like all of that stuff is accurately summarized in this very little simple call for us to treat other people as, as though we <laughs> want to be treated. I mean, come on, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? And do you know what we could do right now, I think? We could spend ages camping out on how good God is to you. We think about it. God loves you so much that he summarizes the law for us. We could, we could linger on that. That's a marvelous, marvelous idea. I don't want to do that. Because I want you to see... How the fact that this verse summarizes the law, the moral law, how that should today inspire you as a Christian to go out of this room and obey the golden rule. See, I promised you this morning, didn't I, that I was in the mood for asking you questions. And truth be told, usually the questions that I ask from the front are fairly rhetorical and they are well, they're always rhetorical, but they're fairly easy usually, aren't they? I mean, let's face it. What was the first one? What are we doing in our, what are we doing in our morning services? You don't get an easier sort of question than that. Usually the real softball questions. Not this time. This time I want to test you. This time I want to ask you a theological question. And it's a question that's got a lot of answers, but I, I'm interested to know where you go as a Christian. What's your first inclination with this question? You ready for it? You going to try and answer it? Think about it. So here's the question. Where'd you go with this? What exactly is the Old Testament law? What's the law? What's your first inclination? What do you think about? What, 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 how would you answer that to start with? I think a lot of people, some would say here, Ten Commandments, Andy. Right? Other people say it's the revealed will of God. Is that where you went? Some of you say, oh, the law is kind of the standard of righteousness God demands for salvation, right? Others of you might be really clever and you want to quote scripture back at me. What's the law? It's a guardian leading us to Christ, right? Some of you go there. I want you to think about this very, very carefully. The law is actually a revelation to us of the very heart and very character of almighty God. Isn't that a special thing for us to linger on just for a moment? We think about what, 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 what's the law? What's the, what's the law? The law is, is just, it's not just what God wants. The law is a revelation to us of actually what our God is like. 
And you, you say to me, but the, 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 the law is the revealed will of God. We know that to be true. And I say back to you, but what is the will of God but an expression of his attributes? What he is like, his characteristics, the heart of God. Do you see what I mean? If you don't, let me just give you one simple example. The law says to us, you must be holy. Why? For the Lord, your God, is holy. How can the psalmist delight in the law? Because the law is a revelation to us of something of the character of God. And if you, Christian friend, recognize that, do you not see the motivation now for you and me going into London and obeying the golden rule? Because if this verse is a summary of something of the character of God, what are you and I doing? If we go out and we love our neighbor, what are we actually doing if we serve the people in our life? You're ready for it. We are conforming by the work of the Holy Spirit to the very character of our God. Isn't that an amazing thing? Like if we obey this command, if we seek prayerfully to put this into action, we take it to our heart, we've got to serve others, we've got to love others. What do you think we're doing? Do you think we're living for Christ Jesus if we do that? Yeah, we are living like Christ Jesus, acting in literally a godly way, a godly manner. We are following in the footsteps of our Lord. And I, I, I do not know about you, but that is utterly sufficient for me this morning. Sufficient for me to readdress how I am loving my neighbor, to repent over the areas of great weakness, to ask God to show me more of that weakness, but to go out and seek to treat other people in the way that I want to be treated. So it is... An overlooked rule, a demanding rule, and it's a godly rule. And then we just close very briefly with the fact that this is also this morning a very misunderstood rule. Um, I don't know what your week has been like. It's been tough. Some of you, maybe you've been traveling, you're jet lagged. Some of you didn't have much sleep last night. And so maybe it is that you've sat and missed most of the sermon. Please don't miss this next phrase. Matthew 7, verse 12, is not the gospel. Matthew 7, verse 12, is not summary of the good news. Do you understand why I have to lay that out before you? Let's say we had, we were excited as a congregation. And let's say after the service, we went to the Barbican Center. Barbican Center just now would be humming. You're really busy. There'll be students studying. There'll be people at restaurants, people going into concerts. There's the bars probably open. People are really busy. Imagine we went there and we spoke. We tried to mingle as a congregation with those people. And we asked them one question. What is the essential nature of the Christian faith? What's Christianity all about? You know, in a nutshell, what answer do you think we would get from the people at the Barbican? Do you know what I fear? I fear that people would say back to us, ah, you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the gospel. That's the Christian message. You, Everyone's got to go and treat other people in the way that they want to be treated. If you do that, Christianity says you're right with God and everything is tickety-boo. I hope and pray you understand that's not true. 
I mean, I hope and pray that you understand that God being perfect, he demands that his law is met perfectly. I hope this morning you understand that, that, that there ain't no one in this room who can obey this command in the way that is perfect and full and true. You might be better than me at loving your neighbor as yourself. There might be some of us who are better than others. None of us can do it. None of us can fulfill God's demands in the law. This is not the good news. So, what is the good news? Well, it might not be explicit before you, but I do think it's... uh, See, have a look at the very, very first words of this verse. I bet you maybe never noticed the first word. Have a look at the first word. Do you see what it is? So, or more accurately in the Greek, it is therefore. The first word is the word therefore. Now, what does that word do? That word ties this verse to what goes before it, doesn't it? The word therefore ties this verse to what comes before it. And if you were here last week, what comes before it? What did we think about last week? The fact that God answers the prayers of his sinful people. The fact that God gives, wait for it, wait for it. God gives good gifts to those who ask. Is the gospel not hinted at there? Friends, did you not see the logic? Jesus saying to us, you go out and treat people better than they deserve. And why? Because God treated us better than we deserve. Do you see the flow of it? Do you? Jesus saying, go out there. Show unmerited favor to the people in your life. Go and show grace. Why? Why? Because... We in here have been extended grace by God. And if you are a Christian in here, you know how this unfolds. You know what God has done. What has God done since we are incapable of meeting the law's demands? He sent one who can and who has done it. And what is it that the Lord Christ has done for us? He has loved his neighbor as himself. Hasn't he? Perfectly, fully, completely. He has treated other people as he he wanted to be treated. He's gone from there and laid down his life for his friends. And again, I say to you, if you're a Christian, you realize where we stand at that point. We stand face to face with the gospel. We stand face to face with the good news. What is the good news? There has been provision of a saviour. For sinners such as us in here, there has been a provision of a saviour in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I end with one last question to you if you're not a believer in this room. 